0: that those that confess their sins, he forgives. And today, we're called children of God. We stand as children of the king, bought, redeemed, and cleansed, able to trust and to follow him, to walk in faith. We're brothers of our Savior Jesus, made clean before him, and we've been filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's worship him today. And all God's people said... Our scripture reading this morning is from Deuteronomy chapter 30, beginning in verse 11. Hear the word of the Lord. For this commandment, which I command you today, is not too difficult for you, nor is it out of reach. It is not in heaven that you should say, who will go up to heaven for us to get it for us? And make us hear it, that we may observe it. Nor is it beyond the sea, that you should say, Who will cross the sea for us, to get it for us, and make us hear it, that we may observe it. But the word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart, that you may observe it. See, I have set before you today life and good, and death and evil. In that I command you today to love Yahweh your God, to walk in his ways, to keep his commandments and his statutes and his judgments, that you may live and multiply and that Yahweh your God may bless you in the land where you are entering to possess it. But if your heart turns away and you will not obey, but are drawn away and worship other gods and serve them, I declare to you today that you shall surely perish. You shall not prolong your days in the land where you are crossing the Jordan to enter and to possess it. I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I have set before you life and death, the blessing and the curse. So choose life in order that you may live and your descendants by loving Yahweh your God, by obeying his voice, and by holding fast to him. For this is your life and the length of your days that you may live in the land which Yahweh swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. If you would turn, turn to 1 John chapter 1, we'll read verses 1 through 4. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, and we have beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also that you may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. If you would turn turn with me to the back of your bulletin and let's read together Psalm 16. And my whole being rejoices, my flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your holy one see corruption. You have made known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be
1: to God. You have sent us your Son Jesus. And you have poured out your spirit to be within us. And so, Lord, we gather as a people of God in spirit now to hear your word. Speak to us and cause us to have hearts that do respond in faith to the life-giving word that you give. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So what is life? Where does it come from? What is its end goal? What does it look like to be given life those of us who have seen and heard and touched a newborn baby often break down in the wonder of how that life has come about in some sense as parents we obviously had something to do with bringing about that life but we know we trust that it's all from god that life comes into existence it's all a work from god Yet nonetheless, we participate in that life. A husband and wife share together their own lives in perfect intimacy or in a reflection of the union of Christ and the church. They share with each other their own life, and the fruit of that mutual sharing is a child, a new life. Well, if that's what it looks like for life to be given... Perhaps we can learn more about what life is when we look about what it looks like when life is taken away. Many of us have experienced the loss of a loved one. We've seen the pallid mask of death creep slowly onto their face. We've heard the death rattle in their final breath and held that cold, lifeless hand as life expires. You're only left with the fondest of memories, but you'll never be, never be able to embrace them again. You'll never be able to laugh or cry together. There will be no more shared meals or phone calls or even text messages. That fellowship that you had with them has been severed. Life has been taken away. Now, as a people, we fear that. We fear death. I know I certainly do. It has a vicious sting to it. I felt it all too close to me, as I know many of you have also. In our fear of death, we try to protect ourselves and our loved ones from death. And this is a condition of all humanity. We love life, so we protect it. We hate death, so we try to avoid it at all costs. This makes sense, yet ironically, man's fear of death drives him to embrace it. Consider the past two years in our world, how this pandemic, this virus has plagued our society, our families, our livelihoods, our own being. Out of concern for ourselves and for others, we've shut things down. Concert halls have become empty with no one to listen to the beautiful music. Sports arenas played host to no fans, no cheering. Businesses have been shuttered. Restaurants are now for takeout only, or were for takeout only. Churches were closed. Communion tables were empty. Families, Family get-togethers were anathema in certain parts in certain families. Thanksgiving dinners were no longer shared. Christmas was done in isolation. Birthday dinners became a birthday for one person from friends in isolation. And even sadder loved ones became sick and died, yet died alone with no one there to comfort them in their last dying breath. In the name of preserving life, we ceased to experience it. You know, as the, res- as the restrictions lifted, though, many yearned for that life once again. We yearned for the fellowship and for the feasting of our people, the firm handshake of a brother as you come into church, the warm embrace of a loved one. We missed the laughter and the hilarity of our people, the shared sorrow and the comfort of a loved one. We missed life. As Christians, we know we should not fear death. We know for Christ has conquered sin and death. He has come into the world so that we might have a hope of a whole new world. He has risen from the dead to give us that hope that we too will rise from the dead one day. He gives us that confidence and that freedom that there is an eternity in the future which is now being lived out in the present. John tells us in his epistle, his first epistle, that this life has been given to us. In his gospel, he alludes to it, that this life has been given to us in the person of Jesus. When he was born in that town of Bethlehem, in that manger, God has now given us that life. So this morning, I'd like for us to consider how God gives us that life gives the life into this world with the incarnation of Jesus and what that means for us today. If you would turn to 1 John chapter 1. Looking at verse 1. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we beheld and our hands handled concerning the word of life. John writes these things, these statements, in, in such a fury. And he's just sounds like he's just trying to get it out. He's so excited about it. He's trying to get it out, and it's just sort of this, this sputtering stutter of excitement. But he begins this gospel in a, in a way very similar to the way, this epistle, very similar in a way that he starts his gospel. Recall from John John's usage in his gospel and now in his epistle of the beginning reminds us all the way back to Genesis 1, verse 1. John wants us to know that in Jesus, this is the beginning of a new beginning. In the first beginning, the world was created. Man was made as the pinnacle of God's creation on the sixth day. God took dust from the earth, formed it into Adam, and breathed his breath into the nostrils of Adam, face to face with Adam, breathing his spirit in him to give him a life that was unique amongst all of God's creation. In Adam, heaven and earth came together in a special way. God exalted Adam above all of creation and gave him dominion and rule over it because Adam was now the son of God. Adam had life. He was put in the Garden of Eden. He would hear the words of God speak to him. Do not eat from this tree. Eat from the tree of life. He would meet with God in spirit in the cool of the day in the garden sanctuary. He would eat from the tree of life given to him by God to sustain him. He was not alone. He had God. But then God decided and chose that it was best for Adam to have a helper. So out of Adam's side, God made Eve an intimate helpmate for Adam to experience life with in fellowship, bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. In short, the life that God gave to Adam was filled with fellowship, the fellowship of God, hearing and meeting with him and talking with him and also feasting from God's good provision from the tree of life. Life was then... Fellowship and feasting. When Adam sinned, it would be as God promised. Adam would surely die. Adam was thrust from the garden sanctuary and from life. He no longer had fellowship with God and he could no longer feast upon that life-giving food that God had given to him. He was sent eastward out of the garden, out of the presence of God, and God stationed two cherubim at the doorway into God's presence, two angels with fiery swords. Life had now been taken away, and the gateway to life was guarded and closed. Adam was dead. Life had been taken from him. In God's grace, however, he would one day again dwell in the midst of his people, giving them life, at least in part. God brought Israel out of Egypt through the wilderness. And as we come to the end of the book of Exodus, God has shown Moses a glimpse of who he is and given him a picture of what it looks like in heaven so that Moses can come back down from the top of the mountain, looking into heaven, down upon the earth, to create the sanctuary this blueprint of the tabernacle and inside the tabernacle in the very middle was the holy of holies and inside that was the ark of the covenant which was the footstool of god in his presence that was the guarded by two angels covering which reminded israel of the garden of eden reminded them that to get back into fellowship with God in feasting with God and into the life of God, they would have to go through those angels. They would have to die. This was the tel- table fellowship that Israel had with God. Yet, this table fellowship was at a distance from God. There was a heavy veil between the Holy of Holies and where Israel was. This was a door that they could not enter, even when they did enter into it. It was only one man as a representative of the people. And he was at a distance, and he could not behold the glory or the face of God. It would be as if I invited you over for dinner, and you would sit at home at your table. You would send a representative, and he would come to my house and I would say, you need to sit outside and you can eat a little bit while I eat at my table. That was the distance between Israel and God. That was their table fellowship. So when God talks, when John talks about the beginning, he is saying that this is the beginning of a whole new beginning. This is when the word now is taking on flesh, which is what he says in his gospel. Something new is happening. This word which is now being revealed is the word of life. Which means that death is now being rolled back. New life is happening. God is now giving again fellowship to his people. In John 1, we find that the word was with God and he was God. John makes it clear that Jesus was not only He's not only always been God from eternity past, but that Jesus is himself God now, in flesh. That word, Jesus, who was eternally face-to-face with God, reflecting the life of God to himself, has now entered into creation. Jesus was the creator In him all was created, and now he's, this word of life has now entered into his creation to show life again, which was the light of men. In John's way of speaking of the incarnation, he says that this word, this word of life, took on flesh and he tabernacled with us. He was that presence in the midst of his people But now that veil has been taken away. Now we can see the face of God, the glory of God, the life of God in the face of Jesus. God has now dramatically revealed himself. He's unveiled himself to his people. He has stepped down out of heaven through the veil, set foot on this earth, to show life, to speak the word of life. Yet John reveals something very interesting about the word of life. John has heard and seen and beheld this word. With his own eyes, with his own ears and his own hands, he has actually touched. This is not some sort of metaphorical language that John is talking about. He himself has touched Jesus. He's heard Jesus. He's seen him. Now, we would think the way John uses this uh, the word taking on flesh, we would think incarnation. We would think Christmas and Jesus' birth. But John wasn't at Jesus' birth. He has something different in mind. John is focused not just on the birth, but the whole person of God, the whole word of faith who has come into flesh and his whole life. What the birth pointed to a new beginning. Jesus was born. The word of life was born. The word of life lived his life and had a ministry. The word of life died. And he rose again and he ascended. Into heaven at God's right hand, and he has poured out the spirit of life upon the church. So, what did John hear and see and touch? It's Jesus' resurrected body. If you would turn with me to John chapter 20. beginning in verse 19. This is after Mary and Peter and John have come to the empty tomb and they've seen the two angels on either end of the bench that Jesus' body laid on. A reminder of the Ark of the Covenant with the two angels there, which is a reminder of the doorway into the Garden of Eden. Now, That doorway is open. That entrance into the Holy of Holies is now unveiled. John and the disciples see Jesus in verse 19. When therefore it was evening on that day, on the first day of the week, and when the doors were shut where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them both his hands and his side. The disciples therefore rejoiced when they saw the Lord. Jesus therefore said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, their sins have been forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, They have been retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples, therefore, were saying to him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of the nails, and put my finger into the place of his nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were inside, and Thomas with them. Jesus came, the doors having been shut and stood in their midst, and said, Peace be with you. Then he said, Thomas, reach here your finger and see my hands, and reach here your hand and put it in my side, and be not unbelieving, but believing. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are they who did not see, yet believed. Jesus had been leading and teaching his disciples that he must die, but that also he would rise again into a new birth, the dawning of a new day, darkness turning to light. A new era where Jesus and God is king. On the cross, his flesh was torn and that veil to the Holy of Holies was opened up. We now have access to God. Jesus, in his resurrected body, would reveal himself to his disciples. They would touch, they would hear, they would see. Not just this earthly flesh, but a glorified flesh, a heavenly flesh. They would see the word of life in all of his life. John now testifies to what he has seen and heard and touched. Back in John, 1 John chapter 1. Looking at verse 2. Concerning the word of life, and the life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Part 2 of his introduction. This is where John is now testifying to what he has seen. It's the good news that it's not just about the incarnation of Jesus, although that is supremely important, but the incarnation, the the incarnation, the taking on of flesh of this word of life points to the death and the resurrection, the propitiation of sins, and the forgiveness given from the Father. And John describes this word of life, which is now entered into the world as eternal life. Now we know Jesus does not just communicate or grant eternal life. John tells us here that he is eternal life. He proclaims to you the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Eternal life means life with no end. And we know what was from the beginning was the Word, Jesus. Jesus was ever-present from the beginning as the eternal Son of God. And the Father has sent this Word, this life, this life with no beginning and no end, now into the world. Think about this, that Jesus is eternal life. When the Father looked at the Son before creation, He saw life. It was a mirrored reflection of Himself. He shared that life with the Son and with the Spirit. This was a a shared and a participation in a life that was eternal. And now that energy, that exuberance, the joy and fellowship and community of the three persons of the Trinity has now burst into the world to show and to give and to share that life, that eternal life, the life of eternity past with God. Yet he also brings us that eternal life of the life of the future, that life that we one day will be with God forever and ever and ever. Life with Him. If you would, we'll turn to the last of John's writings in the book of Revelation, chapter 20. I'm sorry, 21. Chapter 21 and verse 1. John gives us a picture of what that future eternal life looks like. In verse 1, I saw, And I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men. And he shall dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself shall be among them. And he shall wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there shall be no longer any death. There shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. John sees this new heavens and new earth. He sees this new city, the bride Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven. And he sees that the word of life, Jesus, is now dwelling in the midst of his people. Eternally, forever and ever, God in the Son, in the Spirit, with the Father, dwelling with his people, his people surrounding him, and God in the midst. And in that time, there is no death. Only life. A life unto the ages. Every tear will be wiped from the eye. No crying, no mourning, no pain, but a new beginning, a new life that is forever and ever. Turn now to chapter 22. Verse 1 And he showed me a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the Lamb. In the middle of its street, and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. And there shall no longer be any curse in the throne of God, uh, in the throne of God, and of the Lamb will be in it. And his bondservants shall serve him. And they shall see his face, and his name shall be on their foreheads. And there shall no longer be any night, and ha- sh- they shall not have need of the light of a lamp nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God shall illumine them, and they shall reign forever and ever. Again, this is John seeing this new heavens and new earth, this future resurrection life unto the ages, forever and ever. And it's like a garden, it's like the Garden of Eden, but not just the Garden of Eden a glorified garden. The river of the water of life is there, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. The tree of life is there for the healing of the nations. Again, life is fellowship with God and the joyful feasting that that gives us. In the new heavens and new earth, we will be in the midst of God. We will be in his presence forever and ever. There shall no longer be any more death. There shall no longer be any darkness, only light. We shall eat of the tree of life. We shall be in his presence and we will receive God forever and ever in us. We will feast with him joyfully. All of the pangs of death will be taken away. We have that eternal life. That hope of the future is sure. But it's also been given to us as a foretaste of what we have today. John, in his first epistle, the uh, theme or summary verse of the epistle can be found in chapter 5, verse 13, where he says, these things I've written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God in order that you may know you have eternal life. That life which was from ages past of the fellowship of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, that life in ages forward with the fellowship and the joyful feasting with God forever and ever has now come into the presence present in the person of Jesus, born into this world, to die and to rise again and to ascend back up into heaven and to pour out his Holy Spirit upon us, the Spirit of life. John wants his audience to know that that eternal life, that word of life, has been given to people now, to experience now. So what does that life look like? We turn to verse 3 of chapter 1, 1 John 1. He says, What we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, that you also may have fellowship with us. And indeed, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. The life that we have now is one of fellowship. It's communion with God the Father, and with Jesus Christ. We have that life of the future and of the past committed to us now in the promise of Jesus. Jesus says, if we turn to John 17, in his high priestly prayer, Jesus prays this to his Father. Father, the hour has come. Glorify thy Son, that the Son may glorify thee, even as thou gavest him authority over all mankind, that to all whom thou hast given him he may give eternal life. And this is eternal life, that they may know thee, the only true God, in Jesus Christ whom thou hast sent. What Jesus prays is that to those who believe, they would know the Father. They would know the Son, and knowing the Son, they would know the Father. This knowing is not just some sort of intellectual knowing. This is not just some sort of thing that you can pick up. This knowing is an intimate knowing. It's the It's the husband and wife intimacy, intimate fellowship. Jesus wants us to have that intimate fellowship, that eternal life. And that eternal life is knowing God, trusting in him, knowing him, having his life shape ours. After all, God has, Jesus says, God has shared his own son so that we may have eternal life. God is sharing his life with his people. And he wants us to experience that life. He wants us to have that fellowship with God. And it's grounded in what we have now, what we know now, what we can experience now. This is not some sort of hope that one day we will have it. Indeed, we will in fullest measure one day have it. But John wants us to know that we have eternal life. We can have that fellowship with God now. We can have that shape our life now. Indeed, God has poured out his Holy Spirit into each of you, into our hearts, so that God can be with us and we with God. There's a problem, though. John says that he has heard and seen and touched Jesus. We have not. We have not directly heard from Jesus. We have not directly seen his face. We have not touched his side or the uh, hands where there was the nail prints. We have not experienced what John has experienced. So how do we have fellowship with One whom we've had no interaction. And John gives us an answer that we might not expect. John says, He has seen and heard and touched and handled. And because He has, and the disciples, because they have, we need to listen to Him. We need to listen to them. They have fellowship with Jesus. And when we listen to His word, His testimony, John's testimony, We have fellowship with John. And in having fellowship with John and the disciples, we have fellowship with Jesus. It goes like this We have fellowship with God through Jesus. We have fellowship with Jesus through the disciples and through the apostles, through the writing of the word. This sounds dangerous. We need something in between us and the Lord. Well, God spoke his word of life into the world. Jesus took on flesh as the incarnate word. The word which was communicated eternally has now come into this world to speak in his life, in the healing of people who were sick, in the casting out of demons. This is God speaking his word. He turned water into wine. He multiplied bread and fed thousands He raised up a man who died. All of this was God speaking his word into the world. This word then went to the cross, was mocked, laughed at, scourged, beaten, nailed to a cross, bled, and died. That too was God speaking his word into this world. The word was then resurrected unto a new life and a new and glorified body which was seen and heard and touched by the apostles. They were testifying to what they saw. They're the, the expert witnesses. Again, that was the word of God speaking to them. And now those apostles, those disciples are communicating that same word to us. And by the grace of God and through the Holy Spirit, those men wrote down what they saw, what they learned, what they heard. It's what we have in the Bible. It's what we have in the scriptures. We have God speaking his word to us. And specifically, what we have in the apostles' writings is what they have seen and heard and touched. All of this means that For us to have fellowship with God, we must hear the words of the scriptures. It's important for us. How can someone come to faith in the Lord if they don't hear someone proclaiming the Lord to them? And how are they going to know unless they don't have the word granted to them, spoken to them, that they can hear and read and see This fellowship with God has now been communicated through men by the Spirit so that we can now participate in that fellowship. And John tells us that we now have fellowship with him. What joy is that? That we can now have fellowship and participate in a life with John the Apostle in all that he saw, in all that the Spirit has now communicated through him. After all, John has seen visions of which no man has ever seen. He's seen visions in heaven of Jesus ascending into heaven, receiving the Spirit and pouring out that Spirit upon the church. And God's grace has been given through John for his word to speak through John so that we might hear and we might have the fellowship that John had. We might share and participate in what John saw and heard and touched. That fellowship has now been manifest through the scriptures into the life of the church, into individuals. We now have communion with God and with each other. Not just with John and the apostles, not just with Jesus and the Father, which is supremely important, but we now have fellowship with One another. Our community, our communion with each other is the life of God poured out in us and on display for all to see. It's a taste of the future eternal life right now in this room, in our relationships, in our handshakes, in our hugs, in our sharing a a meal together, in our experiencing the joy of a wedding together the eternal life of God has been poured out in and through people that we can share and participate in that life. We have the Holy Spirit to guide us, which means that we have that eternal life now and it's important for our own lives. The Holy Spirit helps us Even when we read the word and we don't understand the prophets of the apostles, the Spirit has been given to us to teach us and to guide us into the scriptures. The Spirit has been given to us to set us free from the power of sin. So those sins that we struggle with, we know we can conquer because of what Jesus has done at the cross, because of his death and resurrection and ascension and his pouring out of the Spirit. Essentially, we have that eternal life of the power over sin you know, communicated through the Spirit because the word of life has taken on flesh. This hope of eternity that we read in Revelation 21 and 22 has now burst into the world, into our life. And this is why in in verse 4 of 1 John 1, John can say that these things we write so that our joy may be made complete. John wants the readers of his word, of the word, to believe. And in having that, they will have joy. Joy. Now there's some textual, Questions of whether this is our joy, meaning John and the apostles' joy, or it's your joy, meaning the people who hear John's testimony. But we can be certain that it is at least all of our joy. Because when John communicates the word of life and people receive that and believe, they now share in the life that John has. They now share in the joy that John has and that produces joy in the life of a believer and it produces joy in the life of John. You see, the gospel working out through the word of life made flesh reaches in and changes our life so that we can have that joy. We read in Psalm 16 earlier, in God's presence is the fullness of joy. In his right hand are pleasures forevermore. And if we have life, and if life is fellowship and feasting with God, we've been raised up with Jesus to the right hand of the Father. And if we are at the right hand with Jesus, we are experiencing the joy of God. In God's presence is fullness of joy. At his right hand, there are pleasures forevermore. Together as a part of the body of Christ, together with the apostles, together with the Son and the Father and the Spirit, we now have the joy of God, the eternal triune God, shared with us. Not just a hope of one day being in that joy, but a sharing of that now, in our life, because Jesus has come into our life. He's come into this world. So what does John want his audience to know from this? Why does John begin his epistle like this? Why is this the introduction? What's his whole point? And first we have to understand a little bit of the context in which he writes. He's writing to a very divided church. Some are walking in darkness, hostile to Christian brothers, Brothers are hating each other and not loving each other, he says in chapter 2. Worse, some have even turned to the devil in chapter 3. Others have gone out as if they were commissioned by the disciples or the apostles, though they were really not from them. There's false testimony. And false teachers are threatening those who do remain by seducing them away from a true love of Jesus. So there's division. And so in the midst of this division within the church, one would possibly think that John would come, like we would probably be taught in the world today, to come to play peacemaker. That he would find common ground and he would speak reason to both sides and bring people together. But that's not what John does in the midst of this division. He divides further. He's seeking unity within the church by driving a wedge to create even more division. He is exposing darkness for what it is and light for what it is. And he's calling and rebuking people to walk in the light. Love your brother, sin no more. Trust in the incarnate word of life. Now there are opponents within the churches that John is writing to that are denying the incarnation of Jesus. Denying that Jesus took on flesh. Denying that one can come to know God the Father through Jesus. That you can just know God apart from Jesus. Some of these could be Gnostics, but more likely this is a Judaizer saying that they must go back to Judaism. They must go back into the darkness. What they want, what these opponents want, is they want that veil between God and man to remain there. They don't want the fellowship with God because they're scared of it. They're scared so much of death that they embrace death. They're scared so much of darkness that they embrace darkness and they're trying to bring these new Christians back into that darkness. They want that veil of separation between God and man. So John warns his audience, don't neglect the believing that the Son of God took on flesh. Don't neglect that he came to take on flesh in order to die on the cross for the propitiation of sins. Don't neglect to listen to those apostles that have seen and heard and touched. That we're there to see Jesus actually in flesh, die and be raised again. Sin no more, hate your brother no more, love and forgive. In today's culture, there's a man-made religion out there that also denies the incarnation of Jesus. There's several we could probably think of. They deny especially that there's forgiveness that comes from the cross. In fact, they deny that there's forgiveness at all. There's only sin and shame. Privilege and aggression. Oppression and guilt. There is no propitiation. There is no fellowship. There's only division. John would tell us that we need to guard ourselves from these idols because they create hostility within the brotherhood. They pit brother against brother. It causes many to leave the faith altogether. And even worse, it introduces false teachers from the world into the church, which shows even more division within the church. The response to this, John says, is for us to pick up our Bibles and to read it, to follow the words of those who have followed and seen and handled and heard Jesus himself. The reason why the church abroad is accommodating with the world is because we're not reading our Bibles. As individuals, as churches, We're not reading our Bibles. We're not listening to those whom God has spoken through. This is why no one should listen to the Pope. God hasn't spoken through him. This is why no one should listen to modern day prophets. God hasn't spoken to them. But he has spoken through the apostles. He has spoken through his scriptures. We should listen to this. This provides life. And what of us? How do this four-verse introduction into the eternal life that has been given to us in the word of life taking on flesh? What is, what is it that we should have? Well, life is fellowship with God manifested in joyful feasting fellowship with God. We have a relationship with God. We know the Father. We know Jesus. We have been brought into the eternal life of God from ages past and ages future, has burst into the world today through Jesus. And God has shared that with all of you. The importance then is for our witness as those who have been shaped by the word of life is to continue to share that word of life to others. Just as John is communicating and sharing in the life that he has seen and handled and touched, we do the same. We share the life that God has given to us with others. We take the word, the scriptures that he has given to us and we open it up with a brother who needs who needs an encouraging word or who needs a rebuke. We open it up to share the gospel with someone who doesn't know Jesus or who outright rejects him. We drive that wedge even further to make light and darkness true light and darkness. Not a shadowed dim light, but a bright, glorious light that shines forth through us because the word of life has changed us. We also share that witness of life-changing, gospel-reaching into our hearts, life that we now have. We share that in how we as Christians live. And through the joy that we have with one another, through the love that we have to one another, through inviting one another over and having a meal, for sharing in the the joy of brothers knowing that there is no longer fear of death. There is only a hope of eternal salvation and life with God. That gives us joy in difficult times, that gives us joy in happy times. That shows the life of God when the, the stench of death is all around in this world. When they look and they see joyful Christians exhibiting, demonstrating, living the life of Christ. Having that joy that's at the right hand of the Father flow out through our fingertips and through our lips. They can see the laughter and the joy of knowing Christ and knowing the Father. And lastly, it's the importance of the table. Just as we have table fellowship with one another and share the life of Christ, we share the life of Christ at this table. We come and we dine with God. We feast with Him. We have fellowship with Him. We're brought up into the heavenly places, through that veil that's been torn, into the holy of holies, into the heavenly holy of holies. And we are now sitting, listening to God's word, sharing in that life. And now we're going to sit around the table and participate and share in the life, in the feasting, the joyful feasting of God. And that joyful feasting is us taking in Christ, His body and his blood. We're receiving that with joy and gladness. We're sitting around a table, not doom and gloom, but with joy, with gladness, with life flowing through our fingertips. This is the the importance of the table, where we get a chance to see and hear and even touch our Savior. We're in the heavenly places receiving Christ by faith. The life has come into this world. In flesh, through his life, through his miracles and through his ministry, through his death, through his resurrection, through his ascension to God's right hand, We are not alone. God has now sent his spirit, the spirit of life, the spirit of joy into the church so that we can participate in the life of God now and know that the life of eternity to come is sure. We have that hope. We have that joy. We have that assurance because Christ is the word of life. Please stand with me as we pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful that you have given us life. We're grateful that you have granted us to partake of the fellowship of the eternal triune God. That you've brought us into knowing you and the Son and the Spirit together as one God. And you have brought us into that love, into that light, into that life. We're grateful, Lord, for Jesus who has done all for us and has shared the life of God into this world. The life of the ages to come has burst into the life of today. And so, Lord, I pray that we too would share that life with others, that we would joyfully live a life of faith with you. That we would grow in our understanding of who you are, knowing you, knowing the Son, being built up by the Spirit through reading your word. Lord, help us not to forsake the scriptures. We know it is your gift to the church. Help us to walk by faith. Help us to walk by your word so that we might not be tempted to go back into darkness, to the elemental things of this world. That we would not be divided, but we would be unified in the light and life of Christ. Lord, now as we turn our attention to the table, fill us with the joy of life. Fill us with that feasting, that joyful feasting that we have in fellowship with you. And we pray that you would do this for your honor and glory. In Jesus' name, amen.